Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Howe, joined by my co-host, Scott Dockerman of The Athletic, recording on uh, a day later than we normally do. It's Friday, June the 18th at 1020. Uh, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday morning, and Scott's been really busy as well, um, so we had to push this to Friday. Uh, one day doesn't make that big of a difference, though, Scott. And uh, we found out this morning that uh, you kind of knew this, but uh, the Big Ten football meetings are back. Uh, I will be uh, on the stage at the dais, at the podium, <laughs> however you want to say it, on uh, Friday, July the 23rd in Indianapolis this year. Yeah, we uh, it's getting moved. And part of it was just kind of the planning. Um, you know, they love Chicago, obviously. Um, so, you know, they want to have their, as usual, you know, their big dinner. That's the, that's the biggest event. I mean, sometimes I wonder if they'd even get rid of media days and make them all virtual from now on, if it wasn't for that, uh, you know, usual dinner. But uh, this time around, it, you know, Chicago wasn't opening up that fast. It was really uncertain. So they decided, let's just kick it to Indy. Um, and I'm it's a one year de- It's a one-year deal, right? I'll be back in right. Chicago you, the following year. Yeah, it's, it, I can't see it leaving because, because yeah. again, they make a ton of money. I mean, that's like a hundred bucks a person, you know, for a, a dinner that has several hundred people there, and yep. it's a, it's a showcase event for BTN. They love having it to where you, uh, you know, can have uh, you know their players, their coaches talk. They run run it on a loop during the early part of uh, football camp and stuff. So I think this is one that. You know, that it, it, but it, again, it, it kind of takes us at another step towards uh, normalcy, which is sorely needed right now, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know, we know football stadiums are going to be packed. We know alcohol is going to be in uh, stadium, uh, in different Yeehaw! kinds of alcohol. Yep. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're, we're stampeding towards, uh, you know, normalcy. And I think it's a good thing for all of us. Back in, I, I got to think at some point they announced full capacity at Kinnick, right, Scott? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had like every conversation that I've had. I know Chad wrote about it. And I, I mean, I didn't even write about it because I thought it was kind of almost a given. I've kind yeah. of tweeted about it in, in the ones I've had. But 
they plan to have full capacity. It's in, they're selling tickets as if they're having full capacity. They've kind of said that, but, and you know, they it's, there hasn't been like a news release per yeah. se. And they make and, a big deal out of it over at Iowa state. Yeah, I know. Well, they set a record every day. They sell tickets. So, <laughs> you know, they're up to like 48,000 season tickets sold. So that's a big thing for them, but no, I, I I'm just fascinated with what kind of beer is going to be at Kinnick. You know, uh, I, I wrote about it and I've had several questions and I keep having to like almost screenshot my story from last week that, you know, they use seven G distributorship out of Cedar Rapids, which primarily, and I already has an arrangement with Budweiser. So it's going to be, there's going to be Budweiser products coupled with seven G distributes like 12 different Iowa beers so my guess, and, and they're probably going to go cans just because they're easier to negotiate, you know, Hey, you know, 10 bucks, 10 bucks. That's what I do mm-hmm. if I were them 10 bucks. And uh, so, you know, if you want to, and, and it would be smart if they just kind of continued to, you know, to work in the local beer distributorships, you know, and have, or companies, big Grove back pocket. I mean, you know, what, what would be more perfect than having 1939 named after the Ironman from big mm-hmm. Grove or, um, or the Hawktoberfest you know, from, from uh, back pocket or, or, you know, during wrestling Gable, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you got to have Gable. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that sells itself. And, you know, Bill Stream's kind of the OG in this area. So I, I would expect them to be Budweiser products for d- domestic and then a, you know, a whole slug of other ones, including, you know, and I didn't mention toppling Goliath and some others. Yes, and I wonder if they'll do like the main concession stands, the the those the ones that are already there, like the Budweiser. Like if you go to, I think like the Colonels games and some other stadiums I've been to, you get like the main, like the Budweiser, the main sponsored beer yeah. mm-hmm. at those, you know, and then you can get food and whatever, and then maybe have a specialty beer garden mm-hmm. or you know place where like those specialty beers are sold for people can just go to get that. I think that would be a good setup and it kind of would maybe um, spread your lines out a little bit more. So you're not just, cause that I think about that concourse, man. Yeah. And any, I like, I'll come up at halftime from shooting photos to come to the press box. If I don't get up there quick enough, it's just a mass of humanity at those on those lines. Cause you've got, one side going to the bathroom and the other side standing in line for concessions. Yeah. And that's something that they're, they are concerned about. And, you know, you can't just build a new stadium with wider concourses, right? Uh, you know, and it'll cost hundreds of, you know, probably hundreds of millions to adjust the concourses. So they're going to have some sort of a beer garden, but the question is where, and, and, you know, they want to have points of sale that are kind of out the main, out the mainstream because there's going to be people who just simply want to buy, hot dogs or pop or, or popcorn or something as opposed to beer. So what maybe I, in I, the Southeast, Southeast, Southwest, those that goes from like the main mm-hmm. um, stands to the South end zone. There's, there's a couple of areas there that they might be able to do it. Yeah. Maybe the outside area kind of, but the yeah. one thing that they're concerned about and, and uh, if this is, this is kind of the one negotiating point, was that they weren't going to sell beer near the uh, student, student section. section? Yeah. So um, you know, I would imagine A and F corner would be a real good spot yeah. to, to have a couple of of beer lines and stuff like that. I, I I think I think you're right. I think what what they could do, and I and this is all new, and 
they're going to probably discover some real challenges and then they're going to discover some, you know, solutions is, you know, if I, if I were them, I would have like draws of Budweiser products because those are easy to mm-hmm. throw around and then sell cans um, of your pseudo Sue 1939, whatever you're going to, th- you know, sell locally, have that kind of outside in a beer garden setting. Cause you know, I think that, that's kind of a good win-win for everybody. But, uh, but again, <laughs> as you know, man, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what time you're in those concourses, they seem to be packed and then, but at, at peak time, it is a disaster. So uh, that, that can be a real problem, you know, at quarter, quarter changes and certainly halftime. You ever heard pulpit, pulpit rock up from decor? It's a oh. smaller brewery up there from the, cause the toppling Goliath, they built a new, I, when last time we were up there, they have a yeah. really nice, um, I'll call it a venue, but building and business where you can, you know, do, the kids can play bags and mm-hmm. stuff outside. And then there's a big area to eat inside, but pulpit rock, man, that's why I was like, Hey, that looks interesting. I went in there. That beer is outstanding. Mm-hmm. I'll have to give that one a shot. That's, that yeah. sounds pretty good. They're pretty, uh, I think they're pretty small. They don't distribute quite very much, but uh, I got some to go. It was good. So yeah, there's my recommendation for Pulp and Rock. <laughs> if they want to sponsor the podcast, we, we'll take on any sponsors here. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Scott, we'll flip over to um, your one-on, you had a one-on-one with, uh, with Kirk Ferentz and, uh, published that story earlier this week i would encourage people to get over to the athletic this is the part of the podcast where i again uh advocate for a subscription to the site i have one uh it's awesome i keep up with uh the mets taking three out of four from the cubs this week yeah that sucked man (laughs) well the cubs swept the mets back in april so i was a little payback this week you guys got the last game last night kyle hendricks mets couldn't hit him last night so yeah Um, well they might be playing again and uh they might be playing again in october too so let's hope so then we can go out and watch the playoff games and drink uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can do that with the with the Cubs now that they've won the series. You know, now that they've gotten that thing out, I can yeah. I can sit there and watch it. But um, you know, pre two thousand sixteen, I wouldn't be able to watch with a, a fan of another uh, of the team that they're competing against. The Bears, I still can't do that though. I, I can't watch a playoff game uh, with the Bears of usually with anybody. <laughs> well, where's the playoff games? Where are those going to be in the future? The Bears, Suburbs? they bet uh, Arlington Heights, baby. You know, those the Arlington be, Heights Bears. Well, you know, look at the Jets and the Giants and <laughs> yep. everybody else keeping the New York name. And, <laughs> yep. uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot's trying to, you know, say, you know, she's really had a release today that was really kind of snarky and, in my opinion, kind of. I didn't stupid. see it. What is she mad that? Oh, she, yeah. Well, yeah, or that they need to keep their focus on being relevant past October and. Uh. Uh, you know, and uh, worry about beating the Packers rather than this. And I'm like, who do you think you are? I mean, you know, that's the smallest stadium in the NFL and it's a charter member franchise. And, uh, and it's a nightmare to get in and out of there, even for the college games that we've covered there. Exactly. I mean, you know, when we, even if you stay at, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the big backland area, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're driving over and it's a mile or shit, it's easier to walk there than it is yep. to drive. And 
So, you know, that kind of attitude is what pushes people away. And believe me, I am no fan of the Bears' ownership or management. I think they've been stooges ever since the pop, you know, Papa Bear died back in 83. But uh, that kind of attitude to me, I'm like, go to the suburbs, get like a retractable roof stadium, mm-hmm. go get a go get a final four every four or five years, go get a national championship football game, go get a bowl game, go get, um, you know, the Big Ten championship probably would be held there every year. Nice, um, yeah. You know, go get, you know, NF or uh, Illinois football playoffs could air there, you know, you could have the MAC championship game, you could make Chicago the market that it is, you mm-hmm. know, the the capital city of the Midwest. And um, so if she wants to, you know, kind of complain and whine, well, you can complain and watch them leave and go get an 80,000 seat stadium and fill it up. And yeah, it's going to be a nightmare to get to there too, but it's a nightmare to get anywhere. Once mm-hmm. you, you know, I always say on our way back from big 10 media days and stuff is happiness is uh, Aurora in your rearview mirror. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so 120 miles to Iowa. All right, next stop, the, the Cowboys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, we got off there a little bit. Right, uh, sorry about that. But no, that's okay. That's kind of what we do here. We can meander yeah. back to uh, the Kirk. Um, why don't you just kind of give us an overview of what kind of the approach you took with the story, Scott, and kind of maybe some of the highlights that came out of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, we have this series this week um, calling it uh, Parody Panic. And it's uh, just kind of how college football has changed over time. And, uh, you know, what we see with the college football playoff system is that more and more, there's no cycling out of the teams at the top. I mean, of the 28 possible slots of the college football playoff, 20 of them have gone to four teams. That's really unprecedented. And part of it is teams like you'd see 20, 30, 40 years ago, where, you know, Ohio State may have still made it a lot, but so would Michigan, maybe a Penn state would have before you look at uh, Alabama. Yeah. Alabama is one of the greatest, if not the greatest college football program in history. However, in years past, you might've seen more of Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU than what we've seen of Bama. Likewise, a USC at Texas, you know, as I mentioned, Michigan teams like that could have, you know, in the past would have cycled through. Mm-hmm. As opposed to now, where um, I think there have been 11 schools that have competed in the seven years, that's that's pretty low, mm. and, and it's unprecedented what Clemson has done, certainly. Um, but Alabama's dominance is you, you, unmistakable. So, and then you get the others that just haven't had teams in their conference, their rivals, knock them off enough. So we wanted to. to handle it from a lot of different angles. And, and Kirk is always a great interview for big picture in like June, <laughs> not during the season. He's terrible for those things in, in October. Cause he's always focused on is what's going ahead, but, but he's, he's really good about that. So I, I wanted to talk to him about, you know, the sport, uh, you know, what's his experience has been like, I mean, going all the way back, shoot his grad assistant year in 1980, Pitt had one of the best teams of all time. Loaded. Loaded, loaded, loaded. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, they had four pro football Hall of Famers on that team. <laughs> yeah. You had you had Jimbo Covert. You had uh, Dan Marino. Uh, you had Russ Grimm. You had Ricky Jackson. Plus the Heisman runner-up, Hugh Green. 
and uh, Mark May was also the Outland Trophy winner. So you just had an, a stacked team. They went to the Gator Bowl. And, you know, they're trying to figure out how did that happen, you know. And so it's always been a wacky sport. But in kind of going through this process, I was kind of intrigued by, okay, how many times would Iowa over the Fry Ferentz era have reached, A, the playoff if it was four teams, or B, if it was 12, which is where it's headed. The four teams, maybe twice, 85 for sure. And 2002 is interesting because the BCS, they were fifth, but the human polls, they were third. And the college football playoff committee is made up of human polls. So I think Iowa would have made it that year. Um, and USC had two losses. Iowa only had one. So I think that would have been a, um, a probable Iowa year. But, but then if there would have been a 12-team playoff, each coach would have qualified four times. So I wanted to kind of get his opinion on that and then also hit up other ones. And, you know, the, the kind of the dynastic imbalance, you know, he said, you're never going to have uniformity. And, and that's true. I mean, you're not going to be able to say, you know, I mean, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, they all have 100,000 plus stadiums. They're all going to have more money. Uh, there's different histories of different programs. It's just going to happen that way. But you know, he's always a stickler for rules and he kind of goes off on that, but really, and you could probably speak to this more than I am. Maybe I should let you. When Urban Meyer went to Ohio State, he changed kind of the recruiting landscape of the league, not only because he put adrenaline into it that Trestle probably didn't have as much, but he went national as opposed to just kind of pockets and Ohio. Uh, Alabama did the same thing. And, you know, and I kind of use the example of Ross Pierschbacher, that this is something that maybe in the early 2000s and certainly in the 90s and 80s, he would have been an Iowa Hawkeye. But Alabama is like, we're going everywhere. We're going national to recruit and voila. And that's kind of also altered the parity, if you will, because you know, maybe uh, a player in, in Iowa could have tipped the field for the Hawkeyes. And, you know, Frost Pierschbacher, let's just say, I'm going down a slope here. Let's say that he's there for 2015. And, it, you know, maybe he makes a block that leads to a touchdown in a Big Ten championship game. And they get to the, the playoff versus not. Um, whereas Alabama, he started four years for him. But, um, that was something. And that's, so what do you think about that as far as the balance of these programs to the separation, if you will, that the national recruiting and the ability to recruit, not only recruit nationally, but to land prospects nationally. And those schools going to California and taking away great prospects from the California and PAC 12 schools to Texas, to everywhere. Uh, that seems to me to be kind of a, a separation, if you will. What's kind of your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I know there's some pushback when you say, you know, this, you know, this recruiting, this, this school has a recruiting class that's top 10. But if you look at it, I mean, Alabama and Clemson, it, it, it's not it's not an accident. They have the best players. They're, they're recruiting at the highest level. And I think you can throw Ohio State in there. And granted, Ohio State hasn't won the national championship in almost 20 years, yeah. but, um, you know, well, it, well it's, Ohio state won in 14, 14, excuse me. Yeah. So seven years. Yeah. Um, but nobody other than Ohio state, the big 10 has mm -hmm. won since what Michigan. Yeah. 97. Yeah. Just... So, I mean, that kind of shows you there, 
Um, you know, the SEC's got multiple teams that have won. Um, Big 12, I think. Oklahoma and Texas have both won kind of in that window. Yeah. Yeah. If you go back to, you know, 2000, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a while. And, but your point is well, well, um, well taken in that the fact that Scott, we can probably um, make this, you know, current. Xavier Wonkpa Mm -hmm. is the best safety in the country a top 25 recruit regardless of position in this, this current cycle. Yeah. Ohio state's the favorite for him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of to your point about Royce, Royce Piercebacher, you know, what happens with Caden Proct? Mm-hmm. Same deal. You know, um, I was done a good job keeping guys in state, but those high highest level elite guys, Bama and Ohio State are coming for them now. Yeah. And your point was they probably don't do that 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But now I think with the, you know, how prevalent these camps are, these national camps, you've even got these things like was earlier in the month down in Missouri, um, you know, those showcase camps where coaches are coming into the region and, and offering from, you know, different parts of the country. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's almost like the rich get richer. Mm-hmm. And that's been the separation. And that's when you have, what is it? Uh, Quinn Ewers, who's the number yeah. one commit going to Ohio state at quarterback next year over Texas. He's from Texas. When you have quarterbacks from California going to the SEC and Clemson, that changes the dynamic there to where the Pac-12 doesn't look quite as strong. And and there, the thing is, when you are able out of a 20 to 25 member class to pluck, in their case, 10 plus five stars and, and you know, the rest are four, high four stars, you can afford to miss, have a, have a, you know, somebody just completely flop and be okay because the next guy coming in or the next year coming in, you're fine. And, you know, there are some drawbacks to that. And, you know, one thing Kirk said that I think was really fascinating is, you know, uh, like Troy Polamalu going way back. I mean, but he's a pro football hall of famer and he was a difference maker. And even in that orange bowl that he said, you know, Pete Carroll told him they nearly missed on him because the problem with blue blood programs is that they usually put players in some sort of a, measurement box and they don't deviate from that it's like well yeah but he's only x whereas i will say you know what we'll mask that deficiency he's going to go out you know bob sanders is only five eight but he's going to go play like a superstar you know the one thing kirk said and and i think this is very uh, uh, you know um astute is we're looking at that 511 guy and that maybe the name schools overlook that we think is pretty good and then hope it doesn't show up in those two inches when that critical moment comes. Mm-hmm. And we had that kind of this discussion. Um, it was kind of like a, you know, my question with a kind of a comment that, you know, when you get in those third and four territories, it's, it all comes down to who breaks up the pass, who gets caught holding, who can make the cut and make the catch, who's, you know, defensive end, who can get pressure. And that's hard to really measure 
with 17, 18 year olds. And that's what he was saying about the 5'11 guy. You know, maybe the 5'11 guy doesn't quite get a finger on the ball like a Monty Hooker against Penn State mm-hmm. versus 6'2. You tip it away and you win that game. I mean, it's that could be the difference. But that said, you're going to, if you're Iowa, you can't afford to, to, to put everybody in a box. It just doesn't work. But whereas the other guys, then you've got to make sure that those players with that kind of ability, um, you know, come ready to play. Because if you have it, and Iowa always had that moniker, you know, in the past, you know, hard, uh, you know, hard, what hard work beats talent and talent doesn't work hard or something like that. That's kind of cliche and a little silly because when you're talking about Bama or Ohio state, they're going to, continuously churn to get great players every single year. Now, some are not going to work out, but you know what? They can pull them for another four-star. If they get somebody hurt up front, all right, well, here comes a four-star uh, redshirt freshman, and uh, whereas you're at two-star walk-on or somebody like that. Yeah, and the more, you know, it's margin for error too, Scott. Yeah, I mean, right. like you were saying, you can miss if you're, you know, miss a five-star doesn't work out, a four-star doesn't work out, multiple multiple five and four stars don't work out. You can recover from that. Um, Guys don't develop at Iowa or, and this is going to be the challenge for Iowa as well is, you know, that transfer portal. How how do you use that to your advantage? You're going to lose guys that you spend maybe two or three years developing and then you lose them. You've got to be able to replace them because when you bring in another guy, that you're going to develop, it's going to take two or three years sometimes to get to where that guy is that you lost. Right. So you have to supplement it by the transfer portal and we'll see what they, you know, we'll see what they can do in that. Um, But it's the margin. It's, it seems obvious for people and it is the margin for error in Iowa is razor thin. And you get years like 2002 or 2009 or 2015 when everything kind of comes together, but that's hard. That's hard to do. And that's why it doesn't happen very often. That's why eight and four is kind of the baseline at Iowa, which is actually really good for the program that it is and where it recruits. And I know people don't want to, don't like that. And that's understandably, that's not what your aspirations are. Your Illinois, aspirations. Purdue, they would kill for that. Absolutely. Minnesota, that Minnesota, kind of consistency, right. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I wrote about the bulls and it's coming out in a couple of days, but you know, in 20 years, only once have they um, not been invited or not been eligible twice. They weren't invited. And that's, that's really rare, and it t- speaks to their consistency as a program. And, and then you look at how did they, were they able to do it to break through in certain seasons, and you look at, uh, you know, 2002, they had three former tight ends playing offensive line at an All-American level. That's, that's rare, but it, it also speaks to development and coaching and everything else like that. And that's where a team like Iowa or Wisconsin and, you know, some others that fit that profile have to be in that category. Iowa State right now is in that category. That uh, offensive line was interesting because you had those three guys that were former tight ends. Then you had David Porter, yeah. who was a pretty highly regarded recruit. Yeah. Ben Sobieski, who was a pretty highly yeah, regarded that's recruit. Right. But that was that to your point, that was development and then also developing guys that were already pretty good when they got there and highly recruited. 
and it all came together in that offensive line, man. Yeah. The and game I, at Miami of Ohio, man. They just yeah. – uh, they with Roethlis, Roethlisberger, and I'm like, man, this is – it was so hot. But mm-hmm. they just took the ball at the end of the game, and that offensive line just friggin' just grinded down the field. That, to me, was one of those standout moments mm-hmm. of just how good that offensive line was. Yeah, it was actually – up the road from there, I was in Cleveland that weekend for the Chiefs and the Browns, where uh, Dwayne Ray, wait, uh, Dwayne Ray, Dwayne Rudd threw his helmet on the last play of the game, and the Chiefs got a 15-yard penalty and oh. went 40 to 39. And <laughs> on opening day, it was a, it was an incredible game. But I, I digress. But but you know, when it comes to the transfer portal, I think 90% of it's going to be just fine for Iowa, if not better than normal, uh, because they're the players who are in approach year three ish, they're going to say, you know what, it's not going to work out here. And you know, it, you just kind of probably they come to that awareness that I can't crack the depth chart. There's a kid behind me who's younger than me or who's ahead of me. That's uh, you know, coming in as a redshirt freshman. And, and so then they, they move on. Um, Likewise, then most years you could go get a Jack Heflin or, or James Butler and, and be able to fill those holes. Uh, Xavier Williams, you know, mm-hmm. if anything happens. The one area that I would have concern, and it's not this year, but it's in future years, is let's say Iowa grabs um, a Brandon Smith. And after two years, he's making steady progress. He looks pretty good. But then it's like he, he doesn't like the offense. It doesn't work for him then I could see that type of a receiver, especially not a local guy that, you know what, I want the ball more. I I feel like I'm an NFL receiver and I'm just not getting, you know, enough reps. I could see that being that kind of that problem area for Iowa at some point, not this year, but that's probably one aspect in the future I could see being concerning. Um, But I'm not making any predictions about anybody on roster or anything like that. Yeah, and I, this is, you know, ever-evolving. We'll see what happens here with the July 1st date. is coming, Scott, yeah. and they're still just haggard. You know, just the NCAA is just stumbling over, continues to stumble over itself with this name, image, likeness. I just saw – this is interesting. Uh, Thomas Fedoni, yeah. uh, the Nebraska uh, Iowa fans are familiar with him. They cover <laughs> recruiting. He yeah. just tweeted this out, Scott. According to the NCAA, July 1st will be when players will be given the ability to make money off of their brand, also known as the player's NIL. This will give players and other companies and other companies to help brand themselves. If anyone has any ideas or opportunities, let me know in the comments. Wow. And we're going to see more of that. And you know what? They can't do that here in Iowa. Right. Not yet, you know, because they adjourned, uh, the legislature adjourned way too early as we expected. Um, and they didn't even really address that. So no, they punted, they you know, punted and let, well, let, we'll let the NCAA figure it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, let, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's fun. These types of moments for me when you could kind of jab people and go, yeah, smaller government kicks it up to bigger government, but no, that's uh, in bureaucracy. I, it, it's got to happen at some point at a national level that the NCAA is kind of, as we've talked about before, just kind of said, hey, 
we can't police ourselves, police us for us. And I think handing things to Congress is, you know, right at the worst thing you could ever do when it comes to anything like that. So um, this, this thing is going to be kind of a, a crazy messed up situation. Um, it could hurt them in recruiting in the future for especially elite level talent in basketball and football. I would anticipate that a national bill gets done at some point. So maybe it won't be much of a problem, but it is kind of an issue. So, um, but, uh, you know, kind of going back to what Kirk had to say, uh, I asked him how he felt about the 12 team playoff. And uh, he said he, he, he was honest. He says, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it. And uh, you know, he's like, maybe it's going to be better because at least more people will be in the discussion. And I think that's really important. We kind of talked, or at least I talked and he, you know, commented a bit just about, you know, you won't have situations like 2015 Iowa where they just got annihilated by like Colin Coward and, and other people for their schedule. That was really baseless and unfair. You know, the, the, the big 10 changed their schedule on them and uh, they couldn't help who they didn't play in the league competition. And yet here they are, they got ripped to shreds. And, and so with 12 teams, that won't be an issue at all. Um, the one question I have for Iowa and, and for Wisconsin and, and really all but a handful of schools is I'm not so sure very many of them can run the, run the distance or get in the distance, you know, because, Let's say, let's say Iowa um, is somewhere between five and 12, whether they host, you know, let's say they host a game, you know, it probably means that they lost the big 10 championship game. Um, then they're number five or six seed and they play, let's say it's the, the group of five champion SMU UCF at Kinnick stadium. They win. Great. But that's game 14. Mm-hmm. Then game 15 is like against an Oklahoma or somebody yeah, I, I think they can compete there. I don't know that they can't. I, I mean, but then that's game 15 for a team with little depth c- comparatively to the Blue Bloods without with a lot of, you know, you're going to have injuries. You're going to have attrition. It's going to be. Uh, and so you're going to get to game 16 and you know you're going to be playing a team that's got that's absolutely loaded with talent. Um, a Clemson, an Ohio State, uh, maybe a USC if they get their head out of their butt, um, you know, same with Florida State or somebody like that. And then if you happen to win that, you get, you're all the way playing a 17th game and you're probably playing Bama or somebody like that. So ugh, that's a grind. And I don't, I, so I kind of think that instead of placing any kind of emphasis on a national championship. I think that's a moot point these days for a program like Iowa and ones like it. It's going to be about getting to the playoff and trying to advance as far as you can. And and that's going to be your calling card rather than, you know, much else. Yeah. If they get to 17 games, then it's just, again, it all ties back into what we saw with the pandemic when we Mm -hmm. saw how important college football was to, college sports and how it generates the revenue for all the other sports in college. Now you're going to put more on the college football player name and image likeness is going to tie into that. You've got to give away for them to get piece of, get a piece of the pie. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're going to ask college football players to play 17 games, I just, I'm interested to see what happens here in the next couple of years with all of this stuff, because it just seems like we're moving farther and farther away from amateurism into some, some level of professionalism. 
to, to college sports? You know, to me, I think the one thing that can be done, and it's, it's only cutting one game, but I think it, it might help, especially for championship teams, is the elimination of a 12th or the 13th data point. Um, and, and that's not to say you want to get rid of a championship game, mm-hmm. but it might be to get rid of championship week as its own. And uh, I, I propose this as, you know, and I think it's something that's going to generate some traction from what I hear is it's, you know, the champions week part that I, uh, that the big 10 had last year, where it was one, one, two, two, three, three, all the way down. Um, and then have some mix and match just not to get rematches. I think that's really a smart way to go. And if you have 12 games and the last one being that matchup week, that crossover, that champions week, then you cut it to 16 games, which means that the, the number isn't out of whack. 17 just sounds so much worse than 16 to me because the cap right now is about 15. Mm-hmm. And so you go, all right, well, you add one more game. And I asked Kirk about what the players will think. And he's like, you know, my understanding is players like to play. Right. So they're not going to complain, but we have to be smarter in how we, uh, you know, drill them, you know, basically lay off a lot of the hitting late in the year. And, um, and so that's part of it. You know, he said, um, I, you know, we talked about the 2015 Michigan state game. And he's like, it was the most intense game I've ever been a part of, or one of them. Um, it drained everybody emotionally. And he said, I underestimated how much it took out of everybody. And uh, I, I kind of remember that a little bit when we talked to the players the next day, they were spent. They had, they were going to the Rose Bowl, which for old fogies like me and, and fans was a big deal. Wow, they're going to the Rose Bowl. They had no interest in that. They were still destroyed physically and mentally from losing and emotionally from losing that championship game. And so I think, you know, and and a couple things I threw out there were one, if you, um, if you do that, then everybody gets 12 games, you could have crossover week, but you could also spread it over two weekends if you want to, Mm. Um, you know, if you decide your traditional regular season finales are, the weekend before Thanksgiving as they used to be. And then the 12th game, you know, you can have like three or four games on Thanksgiving weekend and like three or four games on, on, uh, you know, first weekend of December. So, you know, conceivably you could say, all right, if you want to have a black Friday game, then three on that Saturday. And then you, and then that way you don't clog it all up, but you know, and finally, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is the end of divisional play either. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, a couple of things like Kirk, I asked Kirk specifically about scheduling and he's, he's like, it's not smart competitively to play nine games. And you look at the spots, um, the ACC and the SEC are two leagues that play only eight regular season games in conference. They've collected 16 out of the 28 um, CFP spots. The three conferences that have nine regular season games, they only have 11. You know, Notre Dame is split because it was an independent once when it made it and it was an ACC member for that one year. But you look at Ohio State's road losses to Purdue and Iowa, that knocked them out. And in an eight-game regular season schedule, maybe they play them, maybe they don't, but that's that's a different discussion. So I could see where it's an eight-game regular season where everybody gets three guaranteed opponents and then they then they, out of the other ten – uh, you play, you know, five of them two years on, two years off. 
you know, you just kind of rotate it like that. So everybody gets to play everybody home and away once every four years. And then you also get to dedicate your most important rivalries, which I think for Iowa would be Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. But, um, you know, and a lot of plays, you know, and I think that would be fair. So those are some things that I think could happen out of this. But, uh, you know, if, if Kirk, the thing is with Kirk, he does carry enough weight that if he says something like this, it does generate discussion at that level. So I would not be surprised, especially once they do go to a 12 game big 10 schedule or 12 game playoff for the big 10 to drop to eight. The thing I like about the, uh, the expanding it to 12 Scott is you're going to have maybe some like heavy underdogs in there. Maybe some, um, you know, some mid-major, some non-power five schools that get in in the back end of that. Mm-hmm. Are they going to win a national championship? Probably not. But can they pull off a first-round upset? You know, and if you liken it to the, you know, there aren't a lot of mid-majors winning national championships in basketball, but those upsets in the early rounds are really fun and get people yeah. into it. And I think you have that you have the possibility of that in football. If you have, you know, central Florida or, you know, Memphis or Cincinnati or somebody like that, that can spring an upset on a power five in the, you know, the, that first round game, yeah. that's good for the sport. I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I love this, this home, home uh, court concept, home field right. concept in that first round, because you could have, as you mentioned, a, a G5 team go to a, a Power 5 team. You know, you might have Boise State going to USC, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a 6-11 matchup and then pulling that upset. And, that, and it wouldn't shock people the way it once did, but it's fun. It's like the 5-12s at the NCAA tournament, as you right. mentioned. I mean, it always happens every year. And, uh, and so to me, I think that would be, you know, kind of cool. The other thing is, if you're talking about, you know, there's not a whole lot of variety in college football, especially for the team we cover right. and who they play. So I think having a, an opportunity to, you know, let's say Iowa makes it in, like in 2009, they would have been like a 10th seed. And let's say the number seven is LSU. Iowa could be going to LSU in Death Valley on a Saturday night, the first round of the playoffs. That'd be awesome for us. That'd be awesome for them to experience that. Likewise, yeah. flip it. It could be 10-7. LSU at Kinnick Stadium, which would be awesome for a lot of levels, or Florida at Wisconsin, you know, and they'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe it's this cold, you know, it's snowing. But, uh, you know, so I, I love that aspect. That the one interesting part, and I, I kind of wrote about, I'm writing about this since done basically, but that um, the bowl situation, yeah. because the semifinals and the quarterfinals, albeit those six bowl spots on a rotation as, as usual. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a way to extend the the bowl system. Now the bowls have kind of wavered over time as, as an importance and, and there should be some changes there, but the weird part is, you know, for team 13 through 84, Holy cow. Um, They're not going to play for a national title, but they'll be able to play in the postseason. And we would have seen a lot more bowl teams than playoff teams over the 20 years of Kirk Ferentz. You know, is it, is it going to hurt the Alamo bowl, the Outback bowl, the citrus bowl um, from an, you know, from a motivational standpoint, 
What if Iowa goes into the Big Ten championship game and they're ranked number 10 and they get beat by 10 points by Ohio State and they fall to 13? And then it's like, if they're going to the playoffs, everybody's going to watch them in Iowa. If they're, if they fall to the Citrus Bowl and they're playing the number four SEC team, how many people are going to Orlando? You know, would you go to Orlando? You'd go, you'd go to Florida in the swamp for a playoff game, but you wouldn't go to Orlando, you know, or something like that. Yeah. It's a good question. How those will be viewed, you know, how much of a letdown there would be in a scenario like that and how, um, how much interest there would be to go. I mean, you would think still Iowa in the Citrus Bowl against, you know, I don't know, Auburn or Georgia or somebody like that would still have a pretty high interest level, but I don't know how much the playoff would, would take all, you know, how much it would hurt that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look back at um, 2015. That's probably a good place to start. Iowa loses that game to Michigan state. Um, and then they go to the Rose Bowl. Well, that's different. The Rose Bowl is special. It's unique. Mm-hmm. But what if it would have been the Peach Bowl even? You know, and that's just a bowl game. But that's a New Year's Six Bowl game, so it has some value. But what if it would have been that game? Would the same number of people have been excited for it? Yeah. However, if it was the sit, you know, now it would be because it, under the playoff because it's part of the playoff structure. Um, but if it's like they fall all the way out to the Citrus Bowl, after expecting to possibly go to the playoff and or the Rose bowl or whatever, that's, that's a dip for, for yeah. a lot of teams and, and teams that have aspirations. I mean, if you're an Ohio state or, uh, you know, you know, even a Florida, right. that's like, ah. so I, I did, a, I wrote about that. I wrote, I talked to a bowl director for the Alamo bowl. They're in a similar position. They get the first pick of the big 12 and the, and the pac 12. And so you know, you, you've got to, you've got to understand that motivation because again, a team, it's one thing if a team's ranked 16th and they never really were a part of it. It's another thing if they were ranked 11th and then they fall to 14, you know, so that's, that's fascinating. But then the ones, uh, I was going to say, I don't know if this necessarily affects Iowa because it hasn't really in the past, but then you also have the potential of guys sitting out. We're not in the playoff. We're right. going to a bowl game that's not a part of the playoff. I'm going to sit out. You know, I'm, yep. a, I'm a first rounder. I'm a second rounder. I'm not going to play. Yeah, you know, we saw it with no fan. Yep. Um, and you'll see it in the future with other guys, you know. And some guys will play, some won't. But I think when you look at, um, you know, the, those bowls, they, they do have to fear that. Does it, does it make them adjust who they select? Yeah. Um, you know, because if you're like – well, you know, again, let's say it's an Iowa-Wisconsin deal and um, both are in the top 16, maybe, or 18. You know, Wisconsin never really got a chance to go. Iowa just lost the playoff game or the championship game. We're going to go with Wisconsin because they're going to be a little more motivated or something like that. Uh, I think I think that's important. As you mentioned, opt-outs are going to be huge in deciding this. Um, and another point I'm trying to – I'm trying to remember, but sorry about that. I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, but you know, I, I think that's, uh, those are issues that always have to be, you know, a part of this and, mm. and, um, you know, how, how motivated is going to be. I mean, I think for bowls, once you get out of those six, seven, eight spots outside the playoffs, like the top 20 teams, then it probably won't be an issue at all. I mean, you know, seven and five Iowa going to 
um, Las Vegas, know, Las Vegas, people go, yeah, sure. I'll go. Yeah. You know? Now the pinstripe is a different animal, but yeah, never go again. If, That's a Bronx cheer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. We could have used that. It would have warmed us up a little bit. Um, but no, the point I was going to make was the Outback Bowl. You know, Iowa's been there six times mm-hmm. um, under Kirk, which is a ton, but it's also never really been one of those, at least for the fans, I haven't noticed this fatigue that other schools have when going to bowl games. And, and part of that though, is Iowa never lost a game in a, in, in its fight season finale when it went to the Outback bowl, you know, and beat Minnesota three of the times and then beat Nebraska, but three of the times. Mm, that's so, interesting. you know, they've had wins. So that's kind of been a springboard of sorts. Mm. And they, ha- and none of those years were they, fantastic i mean they were all like eight win teams and and so they they were able to uh, you know they never had the man you know they're falling down to the outback ball they're usually rising up or at that level so um that's always that was something that was fascinating when i started looking through it yeah and we'll see kind of where that goes what a uh, what's the s the eta on them getting to a 12th team playoff well, there's a Friday afternoon, there's a news conference talking about it. Okay. Um, and so we'll see kind of where things stand. The the right now, the path is, and I hope uh, something doesn't change between now and <laughs> the press <laughs> conference, but is uh, approval from the college football leadership. I would expect that to probably be the case. I don't think the other commissioners go out on them. Maybe there's some tweaks. And the one that I, the one arguing point is that should the top four teams that receive buys have first round playoff games of themselves at home. So the quarterfinals would be at home. Now that would change dramatically the bowl system. That would alter it unrecognizably so. Uh, because then you only have two, two bowl sites for the semifinals and the rest are kind of fending for themselves. And, you know, having the Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, potentially Rose Bowl pitting teams 13, 15, 18, that's kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a little rough. So, um, but I would anticipate that happening. I, final approval right now is on track for September with a potential 2023 uh, change uh, schedule uh, change in the playoff. And the Big Ten does not have a full schedule set for next year yet. It, it's mm-hmm. there was one that was released, but it has to be redone because of uh, the. Uh, the flipping of some schedules from last year were changed for this year. And then they got to continue to change them into the future. So um, the time is right for the big 10, if they want to make, you know, make that at least have that discussion of maybe we should go down to eight games because when Jim Delaney decided to do that, it made perfect sense. He wanted every, he wanted the criteria to be so strong that a team could not be left out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But what he didn't anticipate was such a heavy emphasis on the eye. Mm. Um, and because uh, you look at like uh, the criterias of, you know, not only the playoff teams like Ohio State and, and a couple of years when they were left out, when they lost to Iowa, when they lost to Purdue. But you look at like uh, a couple of years ago, Penn State got left out of the New Year's Six and Florida got in and Florida had played like two FCS teams and and Penn State you know, play 10 power five opponents and some good group of five teams. I mean, it was, it was really odd 
And I think that's something that uh, Delaney did not expect. Delaney thought it would go the way that it was projected. So therefore, um, if the Big Ten's got to look at it from the same view of what's the most important here? Is it for us to play each other more or less? Is it for all these rivalries to get circulated um, in a divisional structure or do we do it in a different way? Um, is the national championship and the playoff the most important thing? I think right now it probably is. Yeah. As, lo as long as you preserve some great rivalry games, um, I think I, if I was it, it, saying it from Iowa's point of view, I think as long as you play Minnesota, Wisconsin, and, and Nebraska every year, you can live with just about everything else. Um, yep. I would agree. And I think they'll figure it out. And you look at, as you said earlier, the ACC mm -hmm. uh, and the SEC seem to have uh, set kind of set the foundation for what it takes. And uh, you got to adjust. Maybe, like you said, Delaney – did the right thing at that time, but now you see it's not working. You got to adjust to that. Um, your colleague, Nicole Auerbach, uh, I guess these folks are in Chicago for this uh, commissioner yeah. meeting, Scott. She tweeted uh, our old friend Bob Bowlesby on college football expansion. Four people in the working group of us were in one place. Eleven of us are in that place. Now we move to talk to the presidents and see if we can get them to that place. So yeah. sounds like the athletic people are there. Now they move to the, the college presidents to take the next step. And I can't imagine that they would do anything different, um, you know, at the next level. I mean, you know, there might be a little bit of concern about number of games. And I would say that uh, the, there might be a few teams, a few schools that might complain because they could probably, you know, if you're in Alabama or in Ohio state, you could probably sell tickets to people saying you're going to have the first opportunity at a home playoff game mm -hmm. to buy them if, if you're one of the four teams or one of the eight and those teams aren't going to fall out of the top eight. Um, so they're going to have at least one playoff game. Right. So, you know, that, that's going to be some challenges. My guess is this will be fine for a while. Then you're going to start to see those top teams complain about not getting a home playoff game. And then you'll probably see an expansion to 16. So then the first round, will be all campus and then they'll go from there and, and cut down uh, mm. to both sites. But, you know, the, the only inter, the only little part that's strange is the teams that lose that first round playoff game, you know, let's just say for chalk purposes, it's nine through 12 on the road. They don't get a bowl experience. Everybody else does. Mm. And if you're SMU or Houston or, you know, UCF and you've got to go play in Madison, Wisconsin, and it's 22 degrees and snowy and cold and you suck and you get beat by 25 points. You don't get that, uh, that wish list. You don't get that best buy gift card and well, maybe you do, but, but you don't get wine and dine and walking around in, in shirt sleeve weather. So um, that's something I found fascinating that, you know, they, I think, the, the bowl people I've talked to about this, they're kind of like, well, that's just going to be the breaks because I don't know that how motivated they're going to be after they lose a playoff game to right. say, let's go play in a bowl. But that, that said, they don't get the <clears throat> bowl experience that other people get. Yeah, so it looks like things are moving in that direction and we'll kind of find out there's a lot of nuance and, and uh, areas that they're going to have to figure out as they move forward here and hopefully um, 
and there'll be some trial and error, I think, with some of this as well, um, working through, uh, you know, the expansion. But um, let's flip over to some recruiting, Scott, before we get out of here. Um, Iowa picks up its fifth commitment in the 2022 recruiting class this week. Uh, Kale Crow, a, uh, I think it's Crow, could be Crow. I apologize, I have not uh, asked him, but I will. So sorry, Kale. We'll call you Kale. Uh, from Huxley of Ballard, offensive yeah. lineman. Uh, he was offered at camp earlier this month. It was kind of just one of those things where they wanted to get an eye, you know, see him in person. Had a great camp, got offered. Uh, Minnesota had already offered. He was supposed to officially visit Minnesota, then Iowa. Um, he took an unofficial to Iowa. That was a game, set, and match for the Hawkeyes. <laughs> and uh, so now they have five guys in the class with Kale Scott. They also have Jaden Montgomery, a linebacker from Wisconsin, uh, Jerry Montgomery's son, and then Jack Dotzler, Caden Crawford, and Aaron Graves. Uh, one note there that I, I did a story, Caden uh, Crawford visited Kansas State. Uh, he's just trying to – I don't think anybody should freak out about this guy. I there was a 15 month long dead period. Yeah, right. He wanted to just kind of get a reference point before he took his Iowa official visit later this month. I still would expect him to stick with his Iowa commitment, but it's recruiting and you never know. So they got five guys in the boat. Yeah. And uh, this is where the, the Iowa staff has been a little bit more open over the last handful of years since uh, the Texas. <laughs> yeah you so well covered back then <laughs> you know benjamin and those guys and and a lot of it is is communication and i you know and i've been talking to a few people a few players over the years you know they let justin jacobs visit ohio state yep and uh and i'm sure that there was an upfront conversation here you know between the you know, between crawford and the staff that Hey, I, I committed sight unseen, uh, committed, and I have a school in the backyard. I kind of want to just, I, I feel good, but I just want to make a comparison. And, and really, it would be almost insecure if you're Iowa to say, no, you can't go to Kansas State, you know, a school in that guy's home state, because you feel like they're they have something that you don't have. You know, now proximity, of course, is the case, but but you should feel like, Hey, we're Iowa. We got an opportunity here. Now, if he started taking visits on his own without telling anybody, then that's, that's a little different animal altogether. But I, I think that, you know, there were a couple other situations I know in the past where uh, players have asked and been granted permission to take a look and see. And, and, it, and if anything, I think you, you feel better about your guy. If he does that, he's up front. he wants to make sure he's making the right decision and, and if he comes back to you, you're like, hey, you're all in, you know. So I, I, I like the fact that they've evolved because that hard line approach five years ago was, was a little bit too much, I think, especially when you're dealing with young men making a lifelong decision. Yeah, and I think there, you have to make even more concessions right now after, you know, a 15-month-long dead period that we have never seen before. And, you know, if a kid just – wants to take a look and, and make sure I, you have to do, I think it's, it's, it's beneficial for you, as you said, Scott, uh, you as a program, Iowa to do that 
to have them make sure you don't want to go two, three months down the road when this person has maybe some seeds of doubt or just wants to compare other schools to you and then you lose them down the road. So yeah. I think it's smart to, to um, let them, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I just want to make sure that what I'm feeling is, is uh, you know, genuine. I want to confirm my feelings. Um, and, and we'll see. He, he visits here during the big recruiting weekend, which is, Next weekend, um, some guys on campus this weekend, but I like the Kale Crow pickup, uh, in-state offensive lineman, very athletic, Scott. He plays multiple sports. Um, it, it, I, typical in-state kid, I think, that's going to take a little bit of development, but uh, the, the, um, the starter kid is there. Yeah, sure. I like this one in a lot of ways, as you said. I mean, it, it was kind of a surprise to me. Iowa State de- never did offer. You know, he went to camps there, and it just, what for whatever reason, chose not to, and I don't know why. But, but you know, still being able to go and, and get him and get him, keep him away from a rival. You never know what that could have materialized up north. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, I I think the fact that Iowa got a lot of um, really <laughs> primary prospects in the, the tw- 2021 class, this class you know, on campus as of this very minute, mm-hmm. um, you know, with David Koff and Colby and, and uh, you know, Bo Stevens and a few of those, it allows them the opportunity to, to use a couple of scholarships on developmental guys, because as they're developing, the ones that are in front of them will be developing probably faster because they are a little bit more accelerated in their skill set at this point in their careers. Mm-hmm. So you won't need Jack Dotsler or you won't need Kyle Crow, Krogh, crew, whatever, however you pronounce it. And hopefully we don't butcher it too badly. I already already did Um, that maybe in year three, okay, maybe he's on the depth chart instead of, man, we need this guy to really move fast. So I like it. Um, You know, you know, the one thing is it's, it's interesting for when you follow stars that their last two uh, commits are unranked, but I think they have the potential to be, glue developmental guys. I mean, if at worst case scenario, you look at Jane Montgomery, maybe he flips and he's your fullback. Maybe he's on the field for 15 to 20 plays a game late in his career, like uh, uh, Devonte Young as a special teamer. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. You need those players too. So, uh, but best case scenario, maybe he grows another inch and he's a great linebacker. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, I think they're in a good spot, but it goes without saying for me, and, and you probably have better recollection than this. I think next weekend might be the most important recruiting weekend in Iowa history. Yeah, it's, it is because of, because of just what we've talked about with the pandemic and trying to put this class together, um, you know, and working from behind here. It's just everything is, I think you called it speed dating earlier, and it's really the case. And Kind of, kind of got kind of have to make some hay next week, and we'll talk more about that weekend next week, kind of as we get closer to it, and maybe we'll have more additions to the class. Uh, there have been some subtractions uh, with kids that have camped or visited elsewhere and committed. Um, one thing that uh, you know we we always talk about, you know, kind of the linchpin in a recruiting class. If you look at it from a positional standpoint, it's usually the quarterback and they, they commit earlier. That's one thing that's been compromised with the dead period. So now Iowa's 
working on it, Scott. You did a story on Carson May, who I believe is visiting here today. He'll throw for those yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. Last night, they offered Caton Hauser, a California quarterback um, who's co- verbally committed to Boise State. I think they're kind of digging in here and trying to figure out who this guy is because getting that quarter, you don't want to just get a guy, but you yeah. also need to get a guy, <laughs> you right. know, to help, help recruit your class. You know, it's what's what's kind of scary in some ways is you look at kind of the the chart of how Iowa has only skipped what I think two different years in the last twenty uh, from getting a quarterback, and both of them was because they were surrounded by what doubles, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting two in, in one year. So, um, but you know, Joey Labus wasn't this. It was kind of sight unseen when he committed. I mean, it was during the pandemic. Yep. So they didn't get a chance to really, you know, to watch him or anything. Um, Deuce was committed for years in advance. Uh, Padilla, I'm not as aware of his rec- recruitment. You'd probably have to refresh me more on that. But Petrus was late, a yep. late guy. So um, now there's, you know, speed dating. They're catching up. They're trying to get do as much due diligence as they can. And, and you know, who knows? I mean, <laughs> you could see Petrus be great. Uh, and Deuce Hogan, you know, who we've had committed for two years, not materialize. Or you could have Labus be great. Or, you know, whether it's uh, Hauser or... Carson May, you know, whoever uh, materializes out of this class, who knows what'll happen, but it's, it's always interesting. Yeah. Cause quarterback is kind of the, the front porch to your recruiting class. And you, you've got to, it's something that people do talk about and people watch more so than most other positions. And we'll see, should be noted that Carson May does not have an offer yet. Um, so his ability to get here this week, and, and throw for the coaches, particularly Ken O'Keefe. We'll see if he comes out of this visit with an offer um, and where uh, that goes from there. Uh, we'll have to see um, with Hauser if he obviously tweeted that he got the Iowa offer. I don't think they would have offered if they, if they were in touch with him and he said, you know what, I'm not interested. Boise State's my school. I'm not going to look around. Him tweeting that out and Iowa offering let you know leads me to believe, and I, I feel pretty confident in this that he's going. He has some interest in Iowa. Now we'll see where it goes from there. If he visits, mm-hmm. and, you know where the where the relationship goes from there. If it turns into a marriage or it's just kind of a little courting, and he stays with Boise State. Yeah, fooling around or what? But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you know probably the goal for Iowa is to get him on campus next week. You yep. know, get him, get him in that official weekend, get him around the other guys who are in either similar spots or already committed. That makes sense. You know, just based off this offer, my anticipation is that they're, they evaluated Carson May as more of a fallback probably. Um, that doesn't mean anything wrong. I mean, Zach Wilson was the fallback to Spencer Petrus right. in some ways. So um, I, you know, so maybe it's a situation where they, they want to get Hauser on campus. Hauser commits, he's their first guy. They're usually pretty clear, even more than other schools when it comes to these types of situations. I remember with uh, Seth Benson talking to him that uh, they were, you know, after a couple of different other linebackers. And when that just didn't work out, then that's when he got his offer. Um, it wasn't, but they were always in conversation with him, you know, and say, hey, look, we're, 
here's where you sit in the pecking order. And, and a lot of times they just get the offer and, but you can't commit yet. <laughs> That's always kind I mean, of, he had to be nudged a little bit to Iowa by people around him because his family's a South Dakota state family. I think his right. sister played volleyball there and his brother played football. He really wanted, I mean, he, he was an early commit there and really wanted to go there. And people were like, Hey man, yeah, <laughs> you need to go to the big 10 school. And right. then finally he, he conceded and I'm sure he's happy with his decision now. Yeah, I'm sure he is. And, uh, you know, he was a good player last year and, and will continue to be. And, and uh, you know, so I, I'm fascinated right now because I don't, there's really, I haven't heard anything transfer portal-ish at this point. I don't know if that means that ship sailed for this year. And I'm sure if somebody, you know, decides, hey, I'm, I'm leaving my scholarship and they're 6'6", 300 pounds and, and would love to play a two-gap defensive tackle, maybe mm. they'll, they'll say, sure, let's hop on board. But uh, I don't see that. We do get some player interviews uh, on Tuesday. So that'll be nice. Kirk Ferentz will also talk. So we'll get some more updates on anybody that's uh, on the roster and what they're going to, what they're going to do. And, but, you know, again, I think next week, other than a few little updates, all eyes are what's on the weekend. A couple other recruiting notes here, Scott, um, a sophomore to be from Winfield Mount Union. This one was yes. interesting to me just because we don't see this a lot. Uh, uh -huh. schools as small it's eight man football cam buffington uh talented linebacker he plays uh he's a he plays aau basketball too he, he was varsity late. i think he averaged like 17 points they as a did. freshman for them last year um interesting offer he's he's actually uh and I, i'm pretty familiar with that area i uh covered it several times when i was at the burlington hawkeye way back when and and in muscatine uh at times too Jess Settles, Clay Edwards, that whole, that hometown area. Um, they, they weren't always an eight man. It just kind of tend to happen, but this guy's uh, for being only a freshman, <laughs> he's got some size to him and some abilities. Um, you know, I kind of look at him like James Morris, mm -hmm. you know, initially, but um, you know, to score 17 as a, as a freshman and to have that kind of size and, you know, lead the team in rushing and doing all that sort of thing. I think he kind of fits and keep your, keep your focus on this guy. Cause he might be a, a guy, a breakout guy that under the radar in five years to where maybe he doesn't get above a three-star because if Iowa could get him to commit, then of course the rivals are 24 seven right. won't, won't elevate. And that's kind of the, the, you know, like tell me Tristan Wirfs isn't a five-star, you know, yes. tell me, I, I, I don't get it. Um, but oh, he committed to Iowa, so therefore he's not. You know, that's yeah. We've been down that road before. We've seen that. Um, a basketball visitor last week, Scott. <laughs> this kid was. I talked to him after he visited. He's a, a piece of work, and I say that complimentary, just because he's just a really fun-loving kid. Um, his mom was in the background laughing and. Uh, Gus Yaldon, he's originally from Wisconsin. He goes to IMG now. Uh, I encourage people to watch some of his film. He's a very skilled big man who has a ton of offers, uh, top 50-ish top player in the 2023 class. It was nice for Iowa and Fran to get him on campus. Uh, basketball recruiting is looking up. We saw, you know, uh, finally getting, uh, you know, the, the – 
point guard that they wanted. I, I think they're getting, I think they're starting to, to get a higher level of kid in here. And we're seeing a little bit of the Luca Garza effect now, I think, because a lot of these kids talk about it and they're aware of Luca. And I think that's helping Iowa right now on the recruiting trail or recruiting trail. As it should. I mean, if you're a top five program and number two seed in the NCAA tournament with the national player of the year, um, what can you do for me? You know, and then if you're Fran, you could say you could do this, this, and this, and maybe you're a little different here, but maybe you're a little better than he was there. And, and uh, then of course, you know, we, we need somebody who can get us over the top, you know, and we thought we had the team, but we were missing this one piece a lockdown defender or (laughs) something like that. And maybe you can be that one guy. So I, I I like the way things are headed there. I, I I still, I think they have the guts of a pretty decent team. I I just wonder, you know, it's going to be hard for them to replicate at all, you know, certainly replicate, but to, to be able to move forward because losing Luca Garza and probably Joe Wieskamp, both of whom got combine invites that's going to be, that's going to be tough, man. Um, I wonder if Joe, if he's, you know, cause I mean, only what 60, 62 guys get drafted. I wonder if he fits in that. Uh, and, and most of the, most of what I've seen he does, but you know, the combine will probably secure it one way or the other. Um, I think he's going to help himself. Yeah, I do too. He's long. He can shoot. He can run the floor. He's, he's pretty committed. So I, I, I'm kind of with right now kind of thinking he ain't coming back and yeah. just uh, kind of accept it. July 7th is because everything's pushed back this year yeah. because of the pandemic. I think the, the draft itself is end of July, but July, they have till July 7th to uh, decide whether they want to stay in the draft or not. So we still have a couple more weeks before we know for sure what Joe is going to do. And as you said, Scott, the combine will probably – let him know where he stands. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got it. One thing that most draft picks, unless you're a lottery guy and, or, a, or a specific piece to a puzzle, you got, have to realize that you know, a lot of them are going to go either G league or Europe, you know, and, and is he ready for that? I think he is. He's a mature kid. You know, he's, he's skilled. He could, you know, he, he might be a good European player for a year and then come back and be a, a, a very good NBA player, you know, or maybe he's the number 14 guy on a roster. I don't know. I, and I think Luca, if he goes to the right team, if they have a plan for him specifically, I think he can be, uh, he's got a, a, an NBA career as well. Luca's up for an ESPY. Yeah, I saw that. College athlete, best college athlete men's sports with, I'm going to butcher this name. Is it Glory Amanda? <laughs> G-L-O-I-R-E Amanda is an Oregon State soccer player. Uh, I'll plead ignorance on that one. Trevor Lawrence and Devontae Smith. Those are the four guys up for uh, Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, that's intriguing because, uh, you know, you got to go against two football guys. and uh, There's got to be a story with the Oregon State soccer player. Yeah. That we've not heard of. Not uh, go to provincial, but uh, Spencer Lee was pretty damn good too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, I'm he actually won. won I'm wondering if the, he'll be, I'm sure he'll get in there next year, I would think. Maybe because he's an underclassman. I don't know, man. Wrestling without ACLs and winning the national title, that's uh, 
that's kind of a big deal in my eyes, but he didn't wrestle a lot, but still, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's there. That's where, and we know this a little bit that there is some disconnect, but with different media companies and, and uh, different, whether it's sports or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I experienced it too with the athletic. I mean, we're based in San Francisco. A lot of our, um, I would say the majority of our um, focus in a lot of cases is professional sports. Um, you know, some things that people here don't necessarily take in all that often. Um, you know, NBA especially, you know, NHL has been a big focus for us, whereas college sports are not quite as strong, whereas in Iowa, they're the epitome, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that could be part of it, too. So Glory Amanda, if I'm, if I'm saying his first name correctly, started his life in, as in a Tanzanian refugee camp and ended last season as the Herman Trophy Award winner at Oregon State. I'm guessing the Herman Trophy is the Heisman Trophy of uh, college foot, football. Yeah, you know, that really, uh, that's a hard story to beat. <laughs> yeah, Luca might yeah. be up against it. Yeah, that's, although, you know, he, he's got name recognition, but so does uh, Trevor Lawrence probably has it on him. Yep. Uh, I don't know about, you know, Devontae Smith, of course, won the Heisman. He was fantastic last year, but, you know, and Lawrence, I, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the consensus quarterback either. So, uh, it's fascinating. It, it just, it really It'd is. be cool for Luca. Hopefully he goes to the SBs and, you know, can experience being around. I mean, he'll be around a bunch of really, you know, famous athletes. It'll be a cool experience, cool life experience for Luca, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Hey, he, good for he, Iowa. Yeah, sure. Iowa's had some nice exposure over the years. Really. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, the different, whether it's pro and, and the wave has helped Catapult mm-hmm. Iowa. I think Luca Garza certainly has. I think the uh, um, Tristan Wirfs at the combine uh, was, was tremendous. I saw him the other day, mm-hmm. actually at a, at a place in North Liberty. So <laughs> can't miss him. Yeah, I know. He's like, uh, you know, walks right over and talk for a few minutes and I think he's out in Montana fishing now, but <laughs> yeah. I don't blame him. You know, he's got a month off and then it's to the, the salt mine of a 17 game grind. season. Yeah. yeah. So the SBs yeah. are July 10th, Scott at 7 PM central time on, on uh, ABC. So mark your calendars for that. Uh, get a chance to see Luca at the SBs. I think that'll wrap it up, Scott. I know you've got a meeting here at the top of the hour and uh, we've covered quite a bit here this week. Um, we'll be back next week and, and probably with a lot of focus on that big recruiting weekend next weekend. And then we'll also have, uh, we'll have had a press conference with Kirk and some of the players. So we'll have plenty to talk about next week, but that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.